God of Jacob, great I am, King of angels, Son of man, voice of many waters, song of heaven's throne, louder than the thunder, make your glory known. Let the lion roar, hell, hell, lion of Judah. Let the lion roar, hell, hell, lion of Judah. Let the lion roar, hell, hell, lion of Judah. Let the lion roar.
cover your own sin by your works, you're sadly mistaken. You can sow those leaves together as much as you want, but they still won't cover enough, and you'll still be ashamed. I want you to stand up and receive Christ, those of you that haven't received him yet, and I'm going to ask you to come up on the stage right now, and we're going to sing, I need thee, oh, I need thee. I just want you to come forward, and if you haven't stood to receive Christ, come on up here and receive him right in front of us right now. Why are you making a movie about Lonnie Frisbee? It's not a movie about Lonnie Frisbee. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a movie about the Jesus movement. Yeah. Lonnie Frisbee played a role. To not put him in there is to edit history. Yep. Lonnie fell away spiritually. Okay. Wow. I mean, it's clearly was backsliding. Okay. And in his own books that he's written about his life, he talks about how he was out partying. He started using drugs, mm-hmm. and he was living immorally. So Calvary Chapel had a little chapel they met in. Then they went to a tent. Right. Then they built their bigger building. Yep. Lonnie was only in the little chapel. He fell away, and he got involved with the vineyard, mm-hmm. and uh, then it came out what he had been doing. And so he kind of kept reemerging here and there, but not really seeming to get traction. And then ultimately he gets AIDS. Mm. So I hear Lonnie is dying of AIDS. So he was in hospice care in Newport Beach. So we went to see Lonnie, and Lonnie was emaciated. He looked horrible. Mm. But as he began to speak, I sort of saw that old Lonnie spark still. Mm. And Lonnie believed that God was going to heal him. Wow. And he believed he was going to preach. He was repentant. He knew what he did yeah. was wrong. Yeah. He never was an advocate for yeah. any of it, yeah. but he fell away. Hello, welcome to life. Mm. God uses flawed people. Yeah. What about the story of Samson? Mm. What about the story of Noah? Mm. After he, you know, bringing the ark safely to land, he goes and deliberately gets drunk and uncovers himself. What about Gideon? What about, and the list goes on, right? Mm. So just because someone is used by God doesn't mean they don't have the ability to walk away from it. Mm -hmm. Simon Peter denied Christ three times, Mm -hmm. and he had spent three years plus walking and talking with Jesus every single day, Mm -hmm. but he repented. So we all can sabotage God's plan for our life. Mm -hmm. He does give us a free will. Mm -hmm. But he does also give second chances. Lonnie was a believer. Lonnie was used by God. Mm. Lonnie did play a key role in the last great spiritual awakening in America. Lonnie messed up. Mm. Lonnie fell away. Lonnie returned to the Lord. Lonnie was forgiven. Maybe you can relate to that story. If you're a guest with us to hear, we are so glad that you're here and that you are here for a reason and a purpose. You know, the Bible's full of imperfect people. So is the church. And we have an opportunity to be able to come together in a safe place like this, wherever you're on your spiritual journey, whether you're doubting, whether you're running from or running to God, this is a safe place to do that. And whatever season that you're in right now, And you're just thinking, man, I just got to get through this. Whatever stage of life that you're in, we just want to take some time to pray over you. So Meredith, would you just take a couple minutes just to pray for each person in this room? Father God, we thank you for the reason that we are here today. We thank you that you were not content with the chasm that divided us from yourself. We thank you that out of your great love and mercy and grace, you pursued us. 
You are so unlike any other God who waits for us to achieve you and earn you and be good enough and do enough. That's not you, God. You are the God that came to those he loved and he rescued and he healed and he saved and he delivered and he held back nothing in doing so. You gave your greatest, most precious treasure, your son. And King Jesus, you came willingly. You set aside a throne in glory. You sat down your, your crown that once rested on your head. You set it on the throne and you came to earth in the most humble way possible. And you lived that life that we could never live. You came and you fulfilled every prophecy you came and you cashed in on every promise lord you came and you were the exact messiah we had all been waiting for and needing and wanting you came you came for us you came out of love and grace and mercy and kindness and we have nothing to say but hosanna hallelujah we thank you for what you've done oh death Oh, grave, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? My sin was buried in the grave with Jesus Christ, and I rose again a new creation on the third day because of the power of the blood, the magnificence of the cross. That is why we are here today. Father God, we say thank you. We say you are worthy. We say hallelujah. We praise you. We have nothing else without you, Lord. You came and you rescued. You came and you saved. You came and you healed. I am oh, I am a new creation. Behold, the old is gone and the new has come. And I have no way of doing that except by you. Oh, Lord, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for your blood. We thank you that the stone was rolled away and our God walked forth alive. You walked forth alive. You walked forth alive. You are risen. And so we worship you and we praise you because only you are worthy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
church And fear is not my future You are, you are And sickness not my story You are, you are And heartbreak's not my home You are, you are And death is not the end You are, you are and welcome and happy Easter to everybody here, whether you're in the building, outside, in our video venue, or online. We just want to welcome you all. I don't know, maybe somebody invited you this weekend, you decided to come and sit next to them. Maybe you're watching online for the first time because somebody told you about our church. We're just excited that you're all with us. If you've been with us for a while, you know that we've been in a series in the, uh, going through the book of 1 Samuel. We're going to take a pause off that today and really kind of do a special Easter message focusing on the lyrics of that song, Fear is Not My Future, But You Are. We'll look at John 9 together. But before we jump in there, I've got to make a confession. I went through all my records and I was looking through everything that I have. And I don't believe I've ever said this from this stage. I don't believe that I've ever shared this. But I have to tell you that I'm colorblind. 
It's true. I'm colorblind. It's, it's, uh, it's kind of like the worst colorblindness you can have. Uh, I had a friend 20 years ago who was going to UC Berkeley uh, to be an optometrist. And I remember he telling me, are you really colorblind? I go, yeah, I'm colorblind. He goes, well, actually, the proper word for that is color deficient. And I was like, whatever, dude, I'm colorblind. And he was like, I want you to come to my office and go to the school. And I want to put your eyes in this contraption where I can change the slides. And we'll see how colorblind you are. Now, I knew I was pretty bad already because I've been living life. And, and uh, he put my eyes through this contraption. I don't know if you've ever seen these things. Um, sometimes they come in booklets and they have like little, ball, little bubbles and they have different colors on them. And you're supposed to be able to see like a, uh, like a number or a letter. And so the first one is just to check to see if you're blind. You're just completely blind. You know, it's like black and white. Do you see a number? And I'm like, yeah, I see the number 18. Great. You're not completely blind. And so then it goes to slide number two. And the idea is you keep on going through these slides to see how colorblind you really are. Well, I guess a slide number two, he goes, do you see a letter or a number? And I tell him, his name was John. I go, John, you could give me a million dollars. I could not tell you any number or any letter that I can see in this myriad of dots that are now orange and kind of purplish. Uh, there's not a number. I mean, I'm seeing like, you know, a, a word cursive font in another language, you know, type of thing. but I, I cannot see anything in that machine. He goes, wow, you really are colorblind. I go, yeah, yeah, I've been living my life this way. He goes, yeah, you're the worst I've ever seen. Uh, when I describe it to people, I would say to you, when I stop at a stoplight, I see orange, yellow, and uh, white or gray. Uh, I know orange is red, yellow is yellow, which is nice. I get to see yellow. And, uh, and then green is either light gray or even sometimes white. It, it, uh, and I just know the top one's red, the middle one's yellow. You know, top, stop, you know, middle one, you, you know, be cautious. Bottom one means go, right? And that's how I've kind of lived through my life and, uh, uh, and, 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 and functioned. I'm colorblind. It's great, he said sarcastically. It's like living life uh, eating ice cream sundaes but with no toppings. Now, everybody else gets toppings. Everybody, you know, what's, what's an ice cream sundae without fudge? No fudge for you. That's how it kind of feels like going through life uh, being colorblind. It's a horrible existence. I remember as a little kid opening my color crayon book and then having to get the crayons and turning the little crayon or the marker to see the label to see what color it was. And you know, then they started coming out with like 150 crayons. You know how long it takes to color in the coloring book when you have to turn the thing every time to see what color it is. I was sick and tired of coloring in my Valentine's Day heart green. And then I learned I better turn the little crayon and so I can see what color it is. When I was in high school, I wore blue shirts. It was my favorite color. And then the blue shirt would fade and I'd go back to the mall and get another blue shirt to replace the fading blue shirt. And this happened two or three times. Finally, the third time I wore my faded blue shirt to the mall to get the other new blue shirt. And I realized I wasn't wearing blue. I was wearing purple. You see, I can see blue and purple. I can see they're different when they're close to each other. But when they're not close to each other, they look like the same thing. I thought I was buying a blue shirt, and I was buying a purple shirt, and my nickname was Barney, and I was wondering, like, why in the world? Big man in a big purple shirt. Horrible thing to be blind. It's a horrible thing to be lying, and there are some deep consequences to blindness as well. The captain of the Titanic refused to believe the ship was in trouble until water ankle deep was in the mail room. Uh, only then was it apparent that the multi-layer hull had been pierced and the unsinkable ship was going to sink. Ships could have arrived before the great ocean liner went down, but they weren't summoned until it was too late. The captain was blind to the catastrophe. 
It's a horrible thing to be blind in any given situation, whether you're talking about in a figurative sense, like not being able to, you know, blind to certain social interactions or situations, or in a literal sense. It's a difficult thing to be blind. And today, we're going to look at the prospect of finding out that you might be spiritually blind. What we're going to see is that that too is a horrible thing. What's the big deal if I'm spiritually blind? Like, why does it really matter? I mean, how does spiritual blindness have a significant impact on my life anyway? And how do blind people see? So what if I'm spiritually blind and what would God want with me anyway? That's kind of where we're headed. And so if you would turn in your Bible to John chapter 9 together as we look at the great story of the man born blind. John chapter 9. If you're new to this whole Bible church thing, in the very first couple pages of your Bible, there's a little index that will tell you what page each book is on. And you start from there, go to chapter 9, and you can follow along with us. If you don't have a Bible, we do this little thing around here. We'd like to give you your first uh, leather-bound Bible. And so today when you leave, just go to the left and say, hey, the pastor said I can have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you know, you never had one, we'd like to give you your first one. In fact, we'll give you a coupon to get your name put on it, so if you lose it, you know which one is yours. And so, if you are a collector of Bibles, don't do that. (laughs) Just only for those of you who've never had one, we'd love to be able to give you the gift of your first Bible together. We're in John chapter 9 today, we're talking about spiritual blindness, and really what I want you to be thinking about the entire time we go through this text together is this question. How does the story of Jesus' encounter with a man's physical blindness apply to me? Just keep that in the back of your your mind. How does the story of Jesus' encounter with a man's physical blindness, how does that apply to me? That's the question we're going to keep on coming back to as we read this. And Act 1 in this little story is that Jesus heals a man born blind. Let's look at that together in verses 1 through 12. It says this, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, whose sin was it this man or his parents that he should be born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not this man who sinned, nor his parents, but, the, but that the works of God, his power, his glory might be on display in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, night is coming, when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground, made mud with his saliva, and then anointed the man's eyes with the mud, and said to him, go wash in the pool of Shalom, which means... Uh, Siloma, Siloam, which means sent, and he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had, who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is it not the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, it is he, and others said, no, but he's like him. He kept saying, but he kept saying, I'm the man. And so he said to him, how then uh, were your eyes open? And he answered, the man called Jesus, made mud and anointed my eyes. And he said to him, go to Siloam and wash. And so I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? Speaking of Jesus, and he said, I don't know. We'll stop there. The overarching question today that we want to keep on coming back to in our mind is how does the story of Jesus' encounter with a man's physical blindness, how does it apply to me? 
the first thing we see that Jesus heals a man who was born blind. Now, interestingly enough, in the first century, there, there's quite a bit of debate on these kind of scenarios. Uh, uh, how is it that somebody is born this way? God must be really upset with them if they're born this way. They must have done something wrong to be born this way. But how does somebody do something like that before they're born? Oh, I know. It must be their parents. Parents did something wrong. God's really mad at them, and so therefore he has their children born blind. And that was the kind of the, 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 the kind of notion that was around. Somebody must have done something wrong if you have this kind of medical ailment. And Jesus kind of flips this script on its head. He says, no, uh, none of that. Actually, this ailment is there so that God could show his power and his glory and his ability through this individual. Then Jesus heals the man. Uh, the people are taken back to where they don't understand. How do we process this? We know him as being blind. Uh, we know his whole life has been blind. He was a beggar. Now he can see. How do we process uh, It probably wasn't him. Or was it him? I think it was him. Uh, or maybe it wasn't him. I'm not sure. He looks like him. Of course, the man's saying, I'm him. Like it's me. Then they're kind of conflicted internally. What do we do with this story? Well, the story doesn't stop there. There are some new characters that hit the scene, particularly interested in what is happening. That would be the religious leaders. How does the story or the story of Jesus' encounter with a man's physical blindness, how does it apply to me? Well, act one was he healed a man born blind. Act two is the religious leaders take notice. And I want you to see through this story what happens when religious leaders get on the scene. Starting at verse 13, it says this. They brought to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, a man, the man who had formerly been blind. And now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. And so the Pharisees again asked him how he received his sight. He said to them, he put mud in my eyes and I wash and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who's a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. And so they said again to the blind man, what is it you say about him since he's opened your eyes? And he said, he must be a prophet, obviously. And the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they went to his parents of the man who had received the sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How does he now see? And his parents answered, we know that this is our son and we know that he's born blind. But as to how he now sees, uh, we don't know. Nor who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age and he'll speak for himself. And the parents said these things because they feared the Jews, that's religious leaders, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone would confess Jesus as the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. And therefore his parents said, he's of age, ask him. How does this story, this question we're asking ourselves, how does this story about Jesus' encounter with a man's physical blindness apply to me. In Act 2, we see the religious leaders take notice. But there's a bone of contention with the religious leaders. They bypass the fact that Jesus has done this miracle. In fact, they don't, in, nowhere in this text do they argue that it wasn't a miracle. They, they believe the miracle. But the bone of contention is you did it on the wrong day of the week. If you're really from God, you wouldn't. You would have waited till the next day. Never mind that he has miraculous abilities that you would think came from God to be able to do this. 
The bone of contention was that he did the 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 sacrament or the uh, the healing on the Sabbath. The Sabbath day was a, it, Sabbath was a word to delineate the seventh day of the week. Just as God had worked for six days to create the earth, and on the seventh day he rested, so are we to take one day of the week and rest and worship God. That's kind of like our Sundays today. It's a very biblical idea. However, the religious leaders took it to another level with their traditions, where they would describe what work could be done on the Sabbath and what work could not be done on the Sabbath. They went ahead and defined what work was, and they defined it in ways that would be very advantageous to them and yet very legalistic for everyone else. And one of the things they said is healing is work, and you can't do that on the Sabbath. And so Jesus did work on the Sabbath, therefore he's not from God. Of course, that's not what God had intended. Never mind the fact that Jesus Christ is the Lord of the Sabbath. He he presides over the Sabbath. The Sabbath serves him. He doesn't serve the Sabbath. But they still use this loophole that allowed them to criticize Jesus' work. And this is one of the main criticisms of Jesus' work from the religious leaders all over the Gospels. You can do that, but you can't do it on the Sabbath. And because you did on the Sabbath, it tells you that you're not from God. Never mind the fact that he had these miraculous abilities to do these things. The parents were so concerned and fearful of the religious leaders that they actually decided to scapegoat their own son. <laughs> he is our son, and he, wasn't, he wasn't, never, never saw a thing growing up, and now you can see. That we can attest to. Ask her what happened and who did it. I don't know. Ask him. He's old enough now. He can fend for himself. <laughs> Is the idea. And the reason they did that is because they were concerned that the religious leaders would throw them out of the synagogue. And, and, and to us, we don't understand that you get thrown out of this church, you still go to the next church, and you don't care, right? Half of you, we, we, we want to throw out, you know? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> total joke, total, total joke. But anyway, so, you know, but in that day, if you got thrown out of the synagogue, you know, you would lose your ability to have a business. If you had, let's say you had like a, a grocery store business and you got thrown out of the synagogue, nobody from the synagogue would go to your grocery store. Let's flip it around. Let's say you went to the grocery store and that person goes to the synagogue. He wouldn't let you shop there anymore. It would be literally like losing your entire life. Uh, you, you would have, you'd have nobody, nobody to do business with, nobody to speak to. You'd lose all your community, everything. It was, a, it was a very dark possibility. And so they're scared of that and saying, you know, we don't know. We can't speak for him. We can speak as his parents. He was blind when he was a kid. Now, somehow he sees now. We don't know what happened. Talk to him. He's old enough to fend for himself. What was that? Is what happens. The religious leaders are realizing they have a big problem. They are losing market share as it relates to influence in the Jew- Jewish community. And so they are fighting back and they're not going to go without a fight. Which brings us to Act 3. How does the story of Jesus' encounter with a man's physical blindness apply to me? Act number 3, the religious leaders try to spin reality. They try to spin reality. How do we spin this into a different reality? Let's look at this in verse 24. It says this. So for the second time, they called the man who had been born blind, and they said to him, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. The answer, whether this man's a sinner, I don't know. Uh, One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. And they said to him, what did he do to you? And and, and, uh, how did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I told you already, and you wouldn't listen. 
Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciple too now? And they reviled him. You are his disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know, we know that God has spoken to Moses, but this man, we don't know where he comes from. And the man answered, this is great. If you have a, a Bible with you, underline this, highlight this, circle this. Why, that is an amazing thing. This is dripping with sarcasm. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. You have no idea where this guy comes from, and yet he was able to open my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God he will, and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. And if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, you are born in utter sin, and you teach us now? And they cast him out of the synagogue. Jesus heard that man had been cast out, and, and, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, Who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those that do not see may see, and those that see may be blind, or may become blind. And some of the Pharisees near him heard these things, and they said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. How does the story of a Jesus encounter with a man's physical blindness, how does it apply to me? That's the question we're asking ourselves as we're reading through this. And here we see in Act 3 that the religious leaders try to spin reality. They basically come back to the man and say, hey, how about you do this? How about you change your story a little bit? How about you give glory to God and give God credit for healing you and just get Jesus out of the scenario? Just give God glory for it and don't put it on, pin it on Jesus and we're good. God can have all the credit, can have all the glory, but this man we know to be a sinner. And again, the best line in the whole, the whole chapter 9 is verse 30. Why, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from. You really don't. And yet he opened my eyes. Such a statement full of, full of sarcasm, but it is the height of unbelief. When evidence stands right before you, right in front of your face, and you still don't believe. That's why those who say, if I just had proof, I would believe. It's not true. This story shows it's not true. Jesus' life shows us it's not true. If you are hell-bent on never believing in Jesus, you will find a way not to believe. In fact, this is why the religious leaders would, after Jesus rose from the dead, which, by the way, he predicted that he would, would still not believe even after that happens. They decide that we need to spin this thing. We're losing market share, we're losing influence, and that is more important to us than reality. It's an interesting story, isn't it? It's a really interesting story. And yet there's a deeper meaning, I think, in the reason why Jesus shares that story. And, and I think I'll show you it by showing you our big idea, which says this. Sometimes it is easier for the non-religious to see their need for God while the religious remain blind. Sometimes it's easier for the non-religious person to see their need for God 
while the religious person remains blind. That's what he said at the very end. If you, if, you, if you say you can see, then you're really blind. If you were blind, then you could be forgiven and your good guilt would not remain. But because you say you can see, you're really blind. Sometimes it's easier for the non-religious person to see they need God. While the religious person remains blind. I found this anecdote written by Max Lucado that I thought was so helpful in highlighting what we're talking about today. It says this, for 51 years, Bob Edens was blind. Couldn't see a thing. His world was a black hall of sounds and smells. He felt he was on... Uh, he, He felt his way through five decades of darkness and then he could see. A skilled surgeon performed a complicated operation and for the first time, Bobby Edens had sight. He found it overwhelming. Never have dreamed that yellow was so yellow, he exclaimed. Couldn't put into words. He was amazed by the color yellow. But red is my favorite, he would say. I just can't believe red. So I can see the shape of the moon. I, can, like, like, I like nothing better than seeing a jet fly across the sky leaving its vapor trail. And of course, sunrises and sunsets. And at night I look up and I see stars in the sky and flashing light. You could never know how wonderful everything is. You could never know how wonderful everything is. You see, just like coming fresh off of being blind and seeing a sunset for the first time, just like that would be so significant and an impactful experience, so is it the experience for somebody who realizes they are spiritually blind and coming to see God for the first time. In fact, it's so revolutionary that it changes your entire life from the inside out. And the truth is that sometimes it's easier for someone who is non-religious to see their need for God than to somebody who's already religious. We see this from the man in the scripture standing outside the temple beating his chest going, I don't even deserve to be in that room over there where the temple of God is. And people are sacrificing, worshiping, and I'm just, God doesn't want any part of me. I know what I've done. There's no way he could want this. This very nature of who he is, he knows his need for God. And the irony in our text is sometimes it's easier for a non-religious person to see their need for God while the religious person remains blind. I wonder if you might be in that category today. Category of somebody who says, you know, I feel like one of those non-religious folks. I know I need God. I just don't think he wants any part of me. Maybe you're not one of those people who typically dons the doors of churches and you wonder, like, what would God want from me? My history, there's just no way God would want any part of me, right? It's just simply not true. According to the scriptures, God sent his son to die for your past. Or maybe you're one of those people who used to attend church quite often, but somewhere along the way, you got out of the habit and you feel ashamed inside. I should have known better. Certainly God has has lost his patience for me, right? I mean, my flightiness, I mean, there's no way that he wants me back, does he? And that's just simply not true. According to the scriptures, God sent his son to die for your flightiness. 
Maybe you're in the early stage of this faith journey and you just can't believe how good the gospel is. And you're floored. Is it really true that God can be this forgiving? Like, it can't really be true that God never holds a grudge, right? I'm pleased to say that it's true. According to the scriptures, God sent his son to die for us so that he would never have to hold a grudge. Or maybe you're here as a mature believer, having been a Christ follower for years, even decades, and you're humbled. Why is it that God chose me, and why did he open my eyes to the gospel? It could have been someone else, right? That's just not true. According to our scriptures, he sent his son to die for you, and he knew you by name when he was dying on the cross. Christ didn't die for a potential people at the cross. He died for an actual people. You have been known from eternity past. Sometimes it's easier for the non-religious to see their need for God while the religious remain blind. And if you're here today and you are a true believer in Christ, then you are a recipient of a miracle of sight. Remember the religious can be religious and still be blind. If you are a true believer, it's only because he's touched your eyes to see. And for those of you guys who've never taken that step, I'd like to give you the opportunity to do that today. We we kind of, you know, themed out this worship gathering together with this song, uh, Fear is not my future, you are. We just sang it, in fact, we're gonna sing it again at the end. Fear is not my future, you are. And do you wonder why we can sing that? Because the worst thing that can happen to a human being is that they would cross over from life to death. That's the worst thing that could happen to a human being. And yet our worldview states that when we cross over from life to death, we have eternity waiting for us. So when we say fear is not my future, you are, it's because fear is not my future, you are. There's going to be a day. So in that sense, my worst day on this earth is actually my best day. Because it's just the beginning of eternity. How many of you ever heard of somebody saying their greatest fear is that they would die? Or their greatest fear is death itself? Maybe some of you here today would say that for yourself. That's my greatest fear, to die. But for those of us who know Christ, it doesn't have to be that way. You see, on Easter we celebrate that there was a man who carried the weight of all of our sin on the cross and died for it, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again from the grave, proving once and for all that he wasn't just a human being. No, he was the God-man. And as such, his sacrifice was capable to atone for our sins and the sins of the world. What that means is this. Pardon is available, amnesty is available, forgiveness is available to you through the work of Christ on the cross. No matter what has been done in the past, no matter what I'm ashamed of and I want anybody to know about, the things that come to my mind when I say, there's no way God wants me. No matter what that looks like, because the God-man died on the cross, it's powerful enough to fulfill God's atoning work and forgive you for whatever that was. That's what we celebrate on Easter for those who call upon the name of the Lord 
there is forgiveness. There is pardon. Are you here? Does that resonate with your heart and with your soul? Maybe you feel like you've been gone a long time and you're back and it doesn't apply to you anymore, but it does. It does. God stands at the door knocking. Come back. I've been waiting to spend time with you. Why don't you place your faith in Christ and start a new spiritual journey with him? And if that's where you're at, I want to lead you in a prayer and then ask you, why don't you come back? Join us as we study the word of God and let it transform our lives from the inside out. Why don't you bow your head and close your eyes. If you're here today and you want to respond, maybe you feel like, man, I feel like I was spiritually blind and I feel like God is touching my eyes and I feel like I'm spiritually seeing. Believe it or not, John 9 is not about physical blindness. He's talking to the religious leaders and saying, you're blind, but I can make you see if you could just see your blindness. Just like I made this guy see it physically, I can make you see spiritually. If you're in the place where you want to take a step towards Christ, this is what you pray. Father in heaven, I know I don't deserve you. I know so clearly all the things in my past make me undeserving from you, but I repent of those things and I'm sorry of those things and I ask you for forgiveness for those things and if you will look on the work of Christ on the cross, instead of looking on my work and give me his righteousness and take my sin and place it on the cross, and I place my faith in Jesus. I place my faith in you. I believe in you, not only in your death, but your burial and your resurrection, which is the first fruits of one day what will happen to me. I will be resurrected too, to eternal life with God in heaven. I put my faith in that and not in myself. And I'm smart enough to see that I was blind and I need a touch from the Savior. Did you pray that? If you prayed that, then you are now in the family of God. We'd love to know about it. We'd love to give you a Bible. We'd love you to join the family as we grow together in learning his word together. And if you're a believer here, someone who has been to many Easter gatherings, would you challenge yourself to not leave today without first feeling the awe of the magnificent God who would woo your soul and save you? And would you give him his due worship? Would you call him worthy in your heart and in your soul? And would you worship him because he is worthy? Father, I pray that you'd be with us as we celebrate together. We are thankful that the tomb was rolled away or the rock was rolled away in front of the tomb, that Jesus moved forward, was resurrected and ascended. And we are thankful of what that represents for us. Thank you for it. And now we give the worship to you that you are due. In Jesus' name, amen. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your very body began to Yeah.
I get a cheer if you trust in Jesus for your salvation? All right. Happy Easter, Camarillo Community Church. You can have a seat. A famous verse, John 3.16, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. If, you're, if you prayed with Pastor David earlier to receive Jesus as your Savior, would you let us know after this service is concluded by going to the welcome counter in the lobby on the left-hand side as you exit? There's people there who would love to talk to you about that decision you just made, pray with you, answer any questions. If you're joining us online, go to campcc.net and click on Next Steps. There's a form you can fill out, and we'd love to uh, contact you later this week. All right, we're going to receive our offering. If you choose to support the work of the Lord by giving to CAMCC, I just want you to know that all the ministries we do here are supported through the generosity of God's people, and we appreciate your faithfulness in giving. Um, there's three ways to participate. You can go online to camcc.net and click Give at the top of the page. You can text the amount you'd like to donate to 84321, or we have an offering box in the lobby for checks and cash if that's what you prefer. All right. Before you go, I want to invite you back. You know, we're here every Sunday. We'd love to see you guys. Um, and check out what's coming up next on this video. Hey, everybody. I'm Allie Smith, the Women's Ministry Director here at KMCC. I'm so glad you're here with us today. If you're a first, second, or third-time guest, we have some great gifts for you at the welcome counter just to thank you for checking us out. There's Starbucks gift cards, fancy little mugs, all-you-can-eat dessert with our staff and elders. Mark your connection card if this is your first, second, or third time with us so we can spoil you. Or if you're watching online, you can go to kmcc.net slash next steps. There are a lot of great things coming up here at KMCC. Who are you going to be inviting? Sunday, April 16th, Pathways and God's Design for a Healthy Marriage Classes. In the Pathways class, you can learn more about KMCC and receive tools that will take your spiritual journey to the next level. These classes are taught by our team of staff and elders, and I will be one of those people as well. If you're checking out CAMCC and want to grow in your faith, this is the class for you. For more info, email jimmoyer at camcc.net. 
Saturday, April 29th, Women's Luncheon, 11 a.m. We will be hearing from women in the mission field, both near and far, as they share their journey and experiences. These tickets are $10 per person. You can sign up online or on the patio. For more info, contact me, Allison, at camcc.net. Sunday, May 14th, Baby and Child Dedications. What a great way to celebrate Mother's Day with us. If you as a parent would like to publicly make a commitment to raise your child to follow Jesus, this is the opportunity. Let us pray over you and your family. To sign up or if you have any questions, contact Elaine at camcc.net. This will be a powerful morning. Friday, May 26th to Monday, May 29th. Family camp. Don't miss this weekend of games, hiking, fishing, swimming, and s'mores. Some more what? Well, some more fun, of course. There's an all-church potluck dinner Saturday night with our worship gathering under the stars at Lake Kachuma. Register now at camcc.net slash camping. June 18th to 23rd, Friathon High School Summer Camp. Outgoing 8th graders all the way to seniors, enjoy the best week of your life at the beautiful Lake Tuluk with wakeboarding, tubing, a giant inflatable water slide, and trampoline. You will build lifelong memories. For more info, contact Jacob at camcc.net. Registration kicks off April 12th at camcc.net slash Friathon. of what's going on here at KMCC, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, or subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more info on any of these events, you can always go to KMCC.net. My name is Jacob Salas. I'm the middle school pastor here at Camarillo Community Church. And uh, I just want to say that we're so thankful that all of you guys came and chose to worship with us this morning. What I resonated most from Pastor Dave's preaching today was uh, the fact that prior to knowing Christ, we were all spiritually blind. And it wasn't until we recognized our need for Jesus that God had given us sight. And that this sight had given us had given us vision into a life that's a life and future that's far more wonderful than we could ever imagine. And I know that there are many here who can attest to that sight. Um, if you're a guest here today, I'm so glad you're here. I want to remind you guys to go and grab one of your gifts at the Welcome Center and join us for a donut and coffee. And we'll see you next Sunday.